We've been preaching on the fact of why pray and some prerequisites for prayer. There probably will be a couple of more messages, at least in this series, because we want to get into the mechanics of it, how to posture yourself for prayer. You, know, you can pray any particular time, any place, if you have to, but it is good, and we'll take some examples from the scripture in a future message about how some of God's choice servants got ready to pray, postured themselves. It's not necessary that you kneel or that you lay down flat on the floor. There's nothing wrong with that or that you pray while you drive or whatever, but there are, in order to please the Lord, some things in the mechanics of prayer that we want to look at. However, this morning we are looking at the last of the four areas that um, presuppose proper prayer. Why pray? Because it's God's method, the necessary conditions. Jesus says, come unto me, learn of me, follow me, abide in me. And using the Bible and the Holy Spirit, as our guide, we come into successful prayer. We'll be looking in the future messages about what to pray for, how to pray, what God says he will do for us, how he answers our prayers, and so on. But today we've already covered the first and most necessary is that we come unto him. Jesus says, come unto me. The person has to be saved. They have to be in a right relationship with God before they're able to speak with him. And then that, of course, is interconnected to the fact that he says, learn of me, and we said the way that we learn of him is through the word and through experience with other believers, through our experience with him, the practice of prayer itself, and so on. And then last week we talked about following him, which is also connected to the fact that we live the kind of life that he desires for us to live, or we live, quote unquote, the Christian life. Now this morning is the fourth and probably the least known, and yet one of the most important proper prayer and life in Christ, and that's abiding in him. Jesus says, abide in me. We want to read to you this morning from John 15, a very familiar chapter. We've preached on it many times. We just want to read the first eight verses. John 15 and verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, the genuine vine. And my father is the husbandman, or the, uh, the farmer, the tender, the vine dresser. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth or pruneth, the Greek says. He pruneth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye, plural, all of you who are Christians, who are hearing and reading this, listening to it, now ye are clean through the word, or because of the word, which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine. Ye, plural, all of God's children, all of his family, wherever they are, are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. Men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto or for you. 
Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Well, we might as well read verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue, abide, in other words, in my love. So God is giving us a picture there that he is the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are the branches. Now, if you want a further study of that, you can go over to Romans chapter 11 and see why the Jews were set aside and why the gospel was brought to the Gentiles and Jesus Christ was rejected there and, and uh, when he was upon the earth, the Jews rejected, re rejected him and the Jews were set aside and blinded nationally. Gentiles might be brought in and said there that we are grafted in olive branches. Well, the idea here is that you and I are branches, every member of God's family, wherever they are, and that we abide in him, good things will happen. We'll be able to ask him what we will, and he will give it to us. Well, what does it mean to abide? To abide simply means to rest in, to continue in, to stay in, something or some situation. In this case, it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the uniqueness of the Christian experience results from the union of Christ and the believer. He is in us and we are in him. So we are interlocked. Can you feel him in you? By the things that he needs you to do. By the desires you have in this life to follow him. Now, you say, but, but sometimes I'm tempted. I think wrong thoughts. I make wrong decisions. I do. Where does that come from? The flesh. I'm wearing it. An ample supply of it. One of these days, I'll lay down this tabernacle of clay, and it's gone. I will have gone on, and I'll be alive, and I'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll be more alive than I've ever been. But the wickedness in the flesh, that's why Paul, I don't have time to get off on this, but just to, to set what I want to say. That's why Paul says that he is in such trouble, he sees another law in his members. He says, the things that I want to do, that is the good things, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I do. He said, who will deliver me from this? God does. He gives us the power to be taken from that. When we're saved, no longer are we subject to the law of sin and death. When I die, whenever that may be, today, tomorrow, next week, next year, whatever the case might be, I'm going to be with the Lord. I don't have to worry about that. And so can you, if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. But the thing that we're saying to you is that you and I must have this abiding in order to have the fullness and realize the whole scope of our prayer life. And we haven't even gotten the mechanics of prayer yet, but we will. But these four things are important that we know and understand them. Abiding is something that is little taught or thought about today. Because we live in a day and time when people want to do. They want a healer to heal them. They want this or that manifestation to come about. They want to conquer. They want to build. They want to do. And actually, the key to successful prayer in the Christian life itself is not doing, is resting and letting the Lord Jesus Christ do in and through us. We're moving to do it. We give you the power to do it. But we have come so far away from that concept in our day and time with most of Christianity today that it's something that isn't thought about. We want to talk about that this morning. You and I know that in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. 
No man can come unto the Father but by me. He's the way. And you and I are saying, come unto me. We find out that he's the way. He's the only way to the Father. That's the only way we can get to God. And yet today what's happening all around us? People are getting to God. Doesn't make a difference to say, all roads lead to the same place. Whether you're worshiping Allah, who is not the God of the Bible, or whether you're worshiping this, that, or the other, we're all going to the same place. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. But we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then when, it's, when he said, I am the truth, the truths of salvation, the truths of God's word, and, and so on, how we live, and so on, that's where the truth part comes in. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now comes the abiding and the following Christ. Those two on the end. All scriptures interconnected. Scriptures are its own best commentary, believe me. So with those few thoughts in mind, we want to begin to look. And we want to point out to you, first of all, that everything that God supplies for us, and he does it amply, everything that we receive is given out of the goodness and the long-suffering of God. God provides that to us in spite, all of his dear children, in spite of what we actually deserve. You know, stop and think about it today for a few minutes. What do Christians do? We're talking about Christians, not the world and not people who just profess and they live half in, half out. We're talking about Christians. They sometimes do what? They sometimes trample his word under their feet. How can that be? But they do. Something comes up, they go astray, they leave the word, and they trample under his feet. They disobey his command. I've done that lots of times. Probably still do. Sometimes don't realize it. But don't Christians do that? Jesus says, do this. What do people do? Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to do that. Well, that interferes with my lifestyle. Or this or that happens. What else do Christians do? Now, really, if God gave us what we deserve, it would be what? Anger and wrath and punishment. But he's faithful through all of that. Think of how unlovely we are sometimes in doing those things. I've even heard Christians blaspheme. What does God do? He's faithful through all that. Yes, he may chasten you. Yes, he won't let you go a long way away and so on. But think about that. He remains faithful while Christians do those things to him. If someone did those things to us, I doubt that we would have the patience. So what a wonderful God you and I have to start out with. All right, the key to abiding in Christ we want to talk about today is actually the result of doing just that, abiding in Christ. Well, that sounds strange. Well, hold on. This is the fruitful life that we want to talk about of a faithful child of God, and it becomes evident when we abide in him and not in kill. You say, well, I, I'm not sure I understand it. Well, bear with me as we get into this. The key to abiding in Christ is simply resting and letting him. There was a time when Jennifer was little, and she didn't have to worry about certain things. She knew that she could trust in her earthly father, and I would provide, I would buy, I would do, I would take, I would supply, and all those things. The same principle is with you and I, in the Lord Jesus Christ, or God. We abide in him, we rest and trust in him. He said he'll provide for us, will he not? That doesn't mean he can't stop work. Because he gives us, he never contradicts his word. He tells us that we need to work. But he supplies that, and he gives us the ability to do it, and so on. But we rest and trust in him. He will provide for us. He will give to us the things that we have need of. So we simply rest in him. He says that he will make us fruitful. Read it to you there in John 15. All right. In fact, we're going to see in John 15 for just a little bit. The demonstration 
of the power of the Spirit is here. The word abide there in John 15 is translated several other places in the scripture you probably did not realize it was abide. And there's a reason for that. If you had a word study or a concordance and you were paying attention, you'd find it. But most people in reading the English would not realize it. There are four places I want to point out to you. Number one is John 15, 4. He says, Abide in me, except ye abide in the vine, no fruit. There it is. There's the word abide there. It means stay in, continue in, rest in. Now in Romans 7, 4, it says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Married, same word by. Why the King James translator is translated that, I'm not exactly sure, although I believe I know the reason. At any rate, it's the same word, abide, that she should abide to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. That is his purpose. Why? That we should bring forth fruit unto God. They are the words married. Over in Ephesians 5.21, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined, there's the word abide again, under his wife, and they too should be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Here the word is joined. Finally, in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2, there the Spirit of God says to you, Paul, he says, Would to God he could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I espoused you to one husband. There's the word by. I espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The same Greek word which is abide there in John 15, in Romans 7, it's married. In Ephesians 5, it's joined. And here it's a spouse. What does all that mean? Obviously, it implies a marital union, and it has an end product. This is a marital union. What's the purpose of, two, of a couple getting married? I know they love each other and so on, but the ultimate purpose is to reproduce, as far as the scripture is concerned. I know that we're not taught that today, but the Bible says that that is reproduction. What's the ultimate union between being in Christ and Christ in you? It's production of what? Fruit. Well, what's the fruit? I'll tell you about it in just a minute. But I want you to see the picture that there in the scripture will help you. You begin to see what I'm saying. What's Christ saying in John 15? Literally, he's saying this. Be married to me. Be joined to me. Be espoused to me. Abide in me so that we can produce fruit together. What happens... When I preach the word, God, if he's given me the word, blesses the word, he sends it forth so it won't return to him void. It comes to your ears, your understanding, and your knowledge. If I preach out in the street or, or wherever the case might be, whatever I'm doing, then he's going to, as he blesses that, he's using me to preach the word of God. His Holy Spirit convicts people. His Spirit brings to their mind the things he wants them to think of. But he's using my body and my voice, the message he gave me, to preach. We, God in and through me, is producing fruit. The branch can't bear fruit of itself. I can't go out and preach by myself. I can't get up this morning and say, well, I don't know, I think I'll preach this. I don't think I'll just preach anything. I think I'll just go and share something. And I'll just... I can't do that. I have to pray and ask God what he wants me to preach. And he gives me that. Sometimes it's late. Sometimes it's early. Whatever the case might be in the week or whatever. But I can't. A branch can't do it itself. Suppose you decide and you said, well, I'm going out today 
and I'm going to knock on so many doors, and I'm going to win so many people, I'm going to do this or that. God didn't change you. It's The proper way to witness is say, Lord, today send me to someone. Open a door for me. Use me as a blessing, a witness, a testimony, something to someone. You'll always do it. Give me the power to do it. Tell me what to say. Give me the ability. He'll do that. He'll open the way. And so resting in Christ is abiding in him and trusting him for all areas of our life. We say, Lord, help me to do the work that you, you want me to do. What is it? Guide me. Show me. Give it to me. Supply it for me. And so on. It's letting God do. See, today it's almost like Christians don't believe God can do it. They want to do it. In fact, I can't tell you how many books uh, at the Christian bookstore, the armor especially, I see uh, where there are books that explain the miracles of the Bible. And I pick them up and say, well, this particular miracle, the Red Sea, has happened two times since that time. Uh, the winds came a certain way. And hogwash. I don't care if it did happen. God supernaturally did that through Moses. Well, today you can find manna. Uh, it's even processed. You can buy it. It's not imported in this country. It's a secretion of, uh, no, you don't want to know. It's a secretion of a little worm that, that grows on these things. It's edible. It's sweet to the taste. And and that's probably what the man was they had in the wilderness. Not so. God gave whatever it was. God brought the birds. God did this, that, and the other thing. All right, I don't want to get too far away before time gets away from it. The vine and the branches are one. We're the branches. If we abide in him and we say, Lord, here it is. Here's my problem. Here's my situation. Uh, this about my marriage. Uh, this about my job this about whatever any area of life. We ask God's guidance and direction and we supply. And I'm coming to that more and more. I'll say, Lord, I don't want to do about this. I'm just putting it in your hands. He does infinitely better than I can. Now, you don't put it in his hands and say, well, I'm not doing anything. Let's see what's happening. All of a sudden, look like it's going to go right. Don't do that. God can change things at the very last moment. Whole people, whole situation. He's able to do that. He said, well, this sounds too good to be true. If that's the case, why doesn't everybody do it? Because they doubt. And they get afraid. And they don't trust God. The last point. Now in John um, 12, 23-26, especially in verse 24, there's the word alone. This is the thing that I want to teach you. It says, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it bideth, abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. What are we saying? If you took that corn, grain, a wheat or whatever, and laid it here and we looked at it, the days and weeks and months would go by, and it just lays there, it's alone. There's nothing else there. But if you take that wheat or that corn and you plant it, you say, well, germinate. And it produces more of its own kind. There's a whole stalk of corn, and there's a whole sheath of wheat or oats, or barley, or amaranth, or whatever the case might be. But what happened to that original grain? It died. You say, well, it germinated. Well, what did it do? It died. And it produced its own kind. So what God is telling us positionally, we have to do that. I want you to follow me. I don't want to get too involved. I want to make it as plain as possible. It's simple, and yet it's a teaching that has been taught for some time, so people are not listening to it. If that happens, we bear much fruit. Same with God. We have to die in him. Well, what do you, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean we die in him? What does Paul say? 
If he's the new creature in Christ, what are you? Say, well, I live. Yet not I live, but Christ liveth in me. Galatians 2.20, we'll look at it in a minute. That's what he's teaching. In other words, it's Christ who lives in and through us. If I decide I'm going to do something, I can't do anything unless God needs me to do that. Then he will give me the ability and give me the things I have need of and, and the means, sometimes he uses people, places, things, just depends. All right, let's go a step farther with that. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. What are we talking about there? Discipline. doesn't mean you hate your life. Boy, I hate it. I like my life. I like to see the things that God has. In fact, today I hope to take a little ride and be able to enjoy some of the good things that God has given us and be able to talk over things at the time today when I can read and study and pray and so on. I like life. It doesn't mean you have to hate it. Boy, I hate it. I don't like wearing these stuff. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that anyone who doesn't reject his life he makes his life the foremost thing, he's going to lose it. But he who rejects it or puts Christ first to the exclusion of the things of this life, he's going to live in habit. It's a discipline. Then he goes a step farther. If any man serve me, let him follow me. That's direction. He'll show us the way that we go. Follow him. I'll show you the way to go. Not everybody's going to be a preacher. Not everybody's going to be a teacher. Some people are going to be whatever. Farmers, factory workers, plumbers, teachers, housewives, whatever the case might be. He's going to guide and direct us, and he's going to supply as we go. And where I am, that's position. Where is he? Well, he's here with us. He's in us. You can't feel him, but he is there. And he uses the power of his Holy Spirit to convict and do all the other things that we've done. we talked about in the past. And he says that where I am, that's position, there also should be my servant. That's victory. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. That's too much fruit. You see, the abiding in Christ, therefore, is an identification with him in death. Abiding alone produces nothing. But abiding in him produces everything. That's what we need to see. There's not space here to point out to you in all Paul's letters about the all things that he talks about. But when he preaches these things, he talks about all things, every aspect of our life, every part of it, comes through the power and the supplying of God as we abide in him. Romans 8.1, and just a couple of examples I'll give you. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those or them which are in Christ Jesus. Is that right? Yes. Those who are in Christ Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So to be in Christ is the one thing that's important to abiding in him. There has to be a realization. What's the realization? The realization simply is the practice of that. I'm going to let go and let God. You've heard some preachers say that before. I'm going to rest. I'm going to abide in the Lord. That takes some self-discipline. It's difficult to come to the place where we say, I'm in a situation, I don't know what to do. I've used this at work two or three times. I don't know what to do. It doesn't look good. Lord, do whatever you want to do. Whatever you work out, whatever you open up for me, I'll accept that and I'll do it. Sometimes it isn't pleasing to the flesh. But it's for our good. And his glory. Always you can count on that. Because he says all things work together for good. Even those things that aren't too happy. 
Now, the proof of abiding in Christ, I want to point out to you before we finish this morning, there are three checkpoints every single child of God can use. And these, when they're answered in the affirmative, yes, are, I guess, your spiritual IQ, if this is any good. It will help you see if you're abiding in Christ. You see, abiding is such a thing that's foreign to the flavor or the the complexion of modern-day Christianity that it's just passed by. It's looked at and they say, well, we're abiding in Christ, that's position we don't worry about it, we have that. No, we don't. Not all. The first of these three checkpoints is this. Do I really love the Lord, God, with all my heart and my body and my soul? Or something else crept in? You know, things can fit between myself and Christ. I can decide that I want to build a beautiful new church that becomes an obsession with me. I can decide that I want to see the, the John Linegar Evangelistic Association all over the country, and I want to do this and that. That can be an obsession with me, and that's it's between Christ and I. So that's an example. But I really love the Lord God with all my heart and mind and body and soul. Secondly, do I really love my brother? The blood-bought children of God. Remember the Lord's admonishment. Greater love have no man. They lay down his life for his friends. Does that mean you've got to go around and say, well, that means for, for Gladys or AC or, or whoever, uh, Mike or Hilda or Kathy, or, i I got to lay down my life. I suppose it's a situation arose, but it, it, that isn't what he's saying. It isn't just laying down your life. That isn't what God is trying to point out to us. He means that we ought to be willing to sacrifice for our brothers. Have there been times that we've sacrificed? Probably so. There have been times that I've sacrificed money or time for someone or some person. There are times I would be willing to sacrifice time or money or whatever as little of you need that I have to share with you or to help you in some way. So that's to be our attitude. So we say, well, do we really love the brother? That's a checkpoint, sure. If we feel that way, I want to help you. You came and said to me, uh, uh, John or Pastor, what? This is a situation, and I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Uh, I think the Lord wants me to, to pray about it and talk with you about it. If I can help you with that or, or give you or do for you, I will. That should be our attitude. God may not require you to do it, but that's the attitude. And the third thing is, do I really love his word? Now, wait a minute. That's a simple thing, isn't it? Do I really love his word? It's not whether you read the Bible or not. It's not how much of the Bible you memorize. It's not how much of the Bible you may even know the deeper things of God in the Scripture. That isn't what he's really saying. We have to love his word. What does that mean? David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against it. In other words, there must be a hungering and a thirsting for his word that exceeds the craving for what the world offers. It's not enough to learn about his word. You need to love his word and learn what the word says. And you can't watch TV anymore, right? Everything has its place and time. But we can't do all those things to the exclusion of the Word of God for ourselves. We need to be reading a portion of it every day. We need to be growing in grace and knowledge. A verse, two verses, a chapter. I would say don't read less than a chapter. But whatever is comfortable for you, in seriousness, asking the Spirit of God to guide you and help you to understand it, to apply it to your life, to grow in grace and knowledge thereby. So that's what I'm saying when it says, do we really love His Word? Do I? I do. Do I always show up? No. 
There are times when I read other things and do other things to the exclusion of the Word of God. There are times that my work requires things that I have to do that I wish I had the time to read the work. You and I live in a world when everything, everything around us in this present cosmos, there are two. There's the cosmos, the well-ordered creation of God everywhere. Carl Sagan doesn't know what he's talking about. He'll find out one of these days. God's created that. Then there's the wicked cosmos, or the ordered system that Satan has, the counterfeit that's here. It's what says in this world, this is where you behave. You cheat people when you get a chance. That's only good business practice. We do this or that. We do this or that when we get a chance. So there are two. The devil always has a counterfeit. So what it's saying is, loving the Word of God to the point that we practice it, that we abide in it. And if we truly abide in Christ, then there's no room for these other things. That's why Paul said, I am determined to know nothing among you or preach nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. And back, I think he told the principles, I, I'm determined, I knew nothing but Christ among you. What's he saying? That's what he's saying. That was his mental attitude. He said, what does all I have to do with prayer? Because abiding in him is going to bring us to the place where we put all of those together to the most effective prayer that we could possibly have. We'll begin with the mechanics of it this next week. I wish that we could be more Christocentric, I guess. Forgive me for using that word, but everything today is, there are all kinds of new words. I can't even believe all the new words in our language. We have no creed but Christ, no life but Christ, no desire but to please him. You know, Spurgeon, not long before he died, Spurgeon wasn't a very old man, he was 56. He had gout, heart trouble, and some other things as well. He didn't know what to do back in those days for it. It was his time. He said, my theology has thinned down to Christ alone. What was he saying? What did he mean by that? What I want to tell you is, nothing can come between us and Christ, or should not. The church can't, although it's part of it, of his realm. The preacher can't. We can't come to the place where we love or listen to the preacher more than we do Christ. Christ is always to be the thing that's central in our life and our fellowship with God. We sing that song, he walks with me, he talks with me, and so on. I come to the garden alone. How sweet his voice is. The time, the fellowship we spend together. That's important that we do that. So nothing should become between us and Christ. There are people today who are so tied up, some ministers, they hardly ever preach Christ. They preach doctrine or just the epistles or the Old Testament or something else or maybe none of those things. They preach on science and all these other things. We need to preach on the Word of God. And centrally, there should be the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing should come between us and him. What was it that Christ sent the message to to the uh, one of the seven churches in Asia? He said what? He was the church of Ephesus. He said, you left your first love. What was he saying by that? They were no longer Christ Christocentric, if you let me say that. They were off on other things. Other things had taken their place. So what I'm saying to you is Christ should be first and foremost in our life. That doesn't mean you have to go around looking different or acting differently, being like a monk or whatever the case might be. It means we put Christ central in our life. We speak to him daily. We look at his word. We know him. We learn of him from the word. We follow him with a Christian life. We abide in him when it comes to our prayer life. We say, Lord, you know all about me. You know the situation. I need this. I'm asking you for that. Your will be done. Take care of him there. And he will. 
That's how we abide or rest in him as far as prayer is concerned. Now, a word of warning before we close. Someone will come along in our day and time, and I'll tell you, if you want a certain book or commentary, not that I'm a great authority, but I'd appreciate discussing with you before you waste your money. There are books and things at Christian bookstore today that are junk. I can't even believe that they're there. There are ministers and other teachers who've attained great learning. There's nothing wrong with learning, unless you're learning the wrong thing. And they say, well, here's the Bible. Now, in Matthew, and this portion right here in Luke, and this was primarily to the Jews, not for you. Yes, that's true as, as its primary application was. But what is scripture? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable several, for several things. It's for reproof and correction, instruction and righteousness. It's for doctrine. It's for us. And so if we come to the place today and say, oh, this promise right here, that was to the Jews. You can't claim that. You can't ask God that. Yes, you can. If that's the case, then those people are going to have to explain how Muller and the others, Brainerd and so on, prayed to God in the most minute detail, make it mathematically impossible for it to happen. China England mission. All these other things. God was trusted and prayed to for all of the minute details. Hudson Taylor. And he supplied it. So if these promises are not all for us, and part of this is for this or that, then we might as well lay the Bible down. That's primary application, yes. It was given to you. Uh, oftentimes he's addressing the Jews, but it's also for us. And in the church of God, in this dispensation, before the coming of Christ, what does he say? There's either Jew or Gentile, Greek, bond, free, we're all equal in the Lord Jesus Christ as far as believers are concerned. So there can be no contradiction. And when it comes to trusting the Lord Jesus Christ first, that means that there cannot be any concentration on anything other than him. In other words, the basketball, the, the you know, everything that the church has, a lot of churches have all kinds of things, and some of those are not wrong, but we can't concentrate on those first and Christ second. The primary reason for the church is to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. Men are saved, and they come in, and they learn, they're baptized, brought into the family of God and into the church of God. They learn that they live Christ-honoring lives. Now, all I've said, you say, well, if I'm abiding in Christ, and I ask him to take care of these things for me, and uh, we haven't even touched on gifts and the other things we give you, well, what, what, what's going to happen? God's going to do with you as it pleases you. And as I said, you say, well, well, what if I have to change my vocation? God may call somebody to do that. I don't know. But we'll do whatever he has for us to do if we'll rest in him and not do it ourselves. It's just like, suppose it's not a good illustration. I was looking at an automobile here a while back that has the computer in it, and the, uh, like one Columbus, Ohio, that goes in, and then the machine, the computer, will tell you the best routes and where you're going and key in. Uh, you can't buy that yet, by the way. It's still experimental. Well, you, you can to an extent, but not to this one that I saw. And you punch in, I want to go to South Ida Street or someplace in Columbus, you know where that is, the computer will tell you. Eventually, they hope the time will come, we've experimented with that, where automobiles will be able to go according to the lines or whatever they're going to use. Uh, wherever you're going, you key it in, and they'll go. If that can't happen, airplanes do that now, fly by the wire, I don't like that at all. Pilot and co-pilot sit there, and there are three computer screens, and they key in what the tower says, and so on. The airplane takes itself off. 
reminds of self. Well, I worked at computers long enough, that scares me a little bit. I don't like that. But that's being done now. Southwest Airlines uses that quite often. Same with the car. So that car is going where it's, so we buy one of those and we get in. We tell it, I'm going to um, Westerville to get in. Car starts out and it's going to go down three and say, turn over here. You override the thing and you go on the back road or someplace else. And we're always trying to go where we don't want to go. Damage the mechanism. We get off the track and get in trouble and all kinds of things happen. That's the idea that we're saying here. Lord Jesus Christ is essential and he will guide us. But we always want to guide and direct our steps. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to be this. Best thing to say is, Lord, if that's your will. What does James say? He says it's foolish to do that. Merchants and others say, well, today I'm going to abide here, and I'm going over there, I'm going to do business here, I'm going to do that. May not happen. What do you and I say? Well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to farm. I'm going to build. I'm going to do this or that. The Lord be willing. So he guides us and directs us. So you see what I'm saying? That last prerequisite is so simple, yet it's one of the hardest to abide in Christ. Simply to let him take care of everything that needs to be done. And what happens then? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. People scoff at it. They say, what are you talking about? You're talking about things that aren't even tangible. Are you sure there's heaven out there? Are you sure Christ is going to come back and there's going to be a judgment seat for believers and there's going to be a, a final judgment for all the wicked and, and the resurrection? Are you sure all this is right? Sure, I'm sure. How do I know? I take the Bible by faith because God's Spirit gives me the witness of itself because I believe it, it's true, and it'll take place. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. Can you see it? No. Am I going to have a crown? Am I going to have a place? Am I going to have something God has prepared for me? Absolutely. How can I say that? Because he's put that hope within me. I know that to be a fact. What does the scripture say? We live by faith and not by sight. If I live by sight, I close this Bible and I could give it to one of you. It's not going to be me anymore. And I would leave here and I'd do all the things that this fleshy body decided I wanted to do a long time ago. And with the diabetes I have now, I might get by six months before I can get it. I walk by faith and not by sight. I'd be scared to death if I didn't believe that God of the Bible is going to take care of the things and change this earth and do the things that he's going to do. So many other things that are personal I can't even talk about them. But we live by faith. We say, Lord, this is what you promised. We know the word. It says this. I trust you. Job trusted him so much that he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Think about Job for a few minutes. What happened? Everything he had was taken away. The only thing, the only thing God left him that he probably wished had been taken away was his wife. And all she did was cause him trouble. She said, curse God and die. She just hassled him all the time. And he came to the place where everything was gone. He had the dogs came and licked his sores. He sat on the ash pile. He was in a mess. But he said, though he slain me, yet will I trust him. That's difficult to do, isn't it? Except by faith, absolutely. So what we're saying to you this morning, those four things are all connected. They need to be there before we talk about the mechanics of prayer, how God will give us what we have need of and what we're to do. The thing I want to say to you now as we close, and the time is Dead by quickly. If there's anybody here without the Lord Jesus Christ, well, old, any, I think I know most of it, but I always get an invitation because you can't always tell. The thing to do is repent of your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. If there are Christians sitting here, one of those blood-bought children of God that lives in the state of defeat, you'd say then that you need the vital link 
resting and abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. There comes a time we come to the end of our rope. We've done everything that we can possibly do. And I've been with Christians like that. I've been with people as they were dying. And they had done everything. They said, I can't understand it. I've done this and this and this. And, and that's happened. And, and God just didn't seem to bless any of it. Could be because God wanted them to go home at that time. Could be he wanted to use them for some other reason. It's difficult to say or no. But the point is to rest and abide in him. There is no gain but by a loss. You cannot say but by the cross. The corn of wheat to multiply must fall on the ground and die. Oh, should a soul alone remain when it a hundredfold can gain. Our souls are held by what they hold. Slaves are slaves and chains of gold. Whatever we make clean, we make, we make it a soul-changing thing. Whether it be life or land or dear as our right hand, wherever a right field he holds, waiting to God their sheaves of gold, he's sure some corn of wheat has died, some saintly soul being crucified, someone has suffered, wept, and prayed, and fought hell's legion on dismay. When you see the fruits of a work, when you see something that has taken place, I'm sure it's because someone has been praying and they've been resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're abiding in him and are permitting him to do that which he would have them to do. Can you thwart the purposes of God? I'm not saying that. No. To use another. To go another way. But he will accomplish that which he would. So I say to you this morning, that's the fourth and final thing, and we need to realize that and practice that in our lives, to abide in him. Simply to rest in him and say, Lord, here's your promise. Here's what you said. Do those things for me according to your will. Father, we commit these thoughts into your hands this morning. Help us to understand your word and your principles. Apply them to our hearts and minds. We might be profitable citizens here and in the life and the eternity and the place you prepared for us to come. Bless us according to your will this morning. Help the word to be fruitful, not to return unto you void. Father, bless us according to your will. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.